Hello and welcome to the Negative Space Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Sippy. As a reminder, all of these episodes are recorded live in front of an actual audience. So if you want to join and bring your questions to the panel, you can check out the Negative Space website for a full schedule and registration as well. Also, the, the video recording is on YouTube, so you can watch that as well. Now then, on to the show. Today, we're talking with Ryan Inzana. Ryan is an illustrator, concept designer, and animator whose work has appeared in various media all over the world. Ryan's comics have been inducted into the Library of Congress's permanent collection of art and have earned an Eisner nomination, as well as an Asian American Pacific Islander Honor Award for YA Literature. Ryan, hello. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Uh, So we're going to start where we always do, which is I want to get sort of your creative origin story. What made you want to start telling stories in the first place? Uh, So probably like almost, you know, every other person out there that's trying to pursue comics. I just read a whole lot of comics when I was a kid and uh, spent a lot of time in the comic book store. I know it's not uh, not too many of those left, but uh, it was like one of my favorite places to hang out and just discover stuff. And, you know, I had a few friends uh, that also were into comics and we just, you know, share stuff. And, uh, you know, when you see it, you know, it gives you the impression that possibly this is a path for a career. Although that didn't seem like, uh, you know, a definite thing either, but, uh, you know, uh, just uh, seeing it and loving it and, uh, you know, then trying to do it and drawing my own little comics when I was, you know, coming up. So, yeah, that's basically the impetus. Gotcha. And were you, I'm always curious when you're an illustrator and the writer, which came first for you? Were you writing before you were illustrating or or other way around? Yeah, it was definitely the illustrating. Uh, And even though, yeah, I I write, but uh, I am way less secure in my writing than I am in my drawing, uh, which is why uh, I started, you know, when I first started like trying to do longer form comics, I would um, I would write out these really long scripts and then I'm going back and I'm thumbnailing them. And uh, it was never as good as what I saw in my head. And it's harder. It was harder for me to pitch them because I'm using all these words that I'm not going to have, you know, in the comic. I have a scene and it's more of a sell when I can just, uh, you know, show you what I'm talking about. So I started, um, I think it was before Chiro, I started uh, you know, fooling around on my own actually just drawing and writing at the same time and uh for me and every person is obviously different but for me uh it was a lot easier and the storytelling got better i think um because i was able to to you know just shave off a lot of extraneous nonsense that i'd be jotting down on those pages that uh wasn't helping me wasn't helping and were you like Cause, you know, with, with the growth of an artist, obviously when you start, you know, you're kind of feeling your way around. When, when did you start to really, you know, pursue doing this as a profession and what sort of steps did you take to improve your craft? Did you go to school for this specifically? So, um, you know, after high school, I knew I wanted to do something with art. Um, uh, so uh, I applied to a bunch of art schools and I got into Pratt uh, with some, a few other ones and uh you know, from there, like, because I grew up in West Trenton in New Jersey, and uh, we didn't have an art prog- program hardly. Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, kind of bare bones. And like most of the kids I, I knew that went to my high school, it was more like just trying to keep the kids from destroying too many things in the art classroom. 
rather than actually trying to teach us. Like, I think I learned perspective in high school. Uh, that was maybe the extent of my uh, artistic knowledge. But I would try stuff on myself uh, and I would, you know, get books and, you know, before, you know, things were all over the Internet. So I would just try to find uh, any way possible to learn anything and just, you know, basically like copying, you know, X-Men books, and like, you know, how everyone learns when they're a kid, you know, you, you see stuff you like and you try to emulate it. Mm -hmm. um, so, but at some point I figured out how to make a portfolio, uh, went to Pratt and that's where I really learned, you know, uh, art is, you know, there's a lot more to it than uh, what I thought. So, yeah. And I'm always, I'm always curious, uh, whatever side of the artistic writer or artist that you fall on when you sort of got the sense that you were actually pretty good at what you were doing. Cause I know like, especially with writers and, and artists in general, there's, there's so many insecurities, you know, there's always that, that sort of imposter syndrome. Did you struggle with that at all? Or was it something where you, like, especially getting into Pratt, I imagine that had to do a lot for you to realize like, this is definitely something I can do with my career, with my life. Yeah, but I got there and everybody else was so good because they all went to art high schools and they had tutors and whatnot. And I was like an idiot. You know, I would go in there and I like, you know, I had like raw drawing skills and uh, that was basically it. And, you know, uh, so I very much was struggling. Like the first year I felt like I was underwater. You know, I just had you know to learn everything um, from scratch. And, uh, you know, uh to be honest, like you always feel like I, there's tons of great artists out there. I never try to get like, you know, oh, I'm I'm doing something that's so great. You know, I can just uh, sit back and relax because I think mm -hmm. that's the way you find yourself out of work. You know, I always try to keep, you know, pushing it. And besides the fact, if you keep striving to to improve yourself, you're still learning. And it's probably the only interesting thing really about choosing this profession because it's a hard, you know, road to to walk in life but uh yeah. if you like to learn and you want to keep improving your skills you know it's you know you can keep you know always be getting better and better uh which is great you know i don't know you probably top off at being like the best cpa or something there's like a level you get to it and then like you can't get any better whereas an artist you know the, the sky's the limit so i think i chose right yeah. uh but yeah yeah totally and, and, you know, transitioning from Pratt out into the real world, so to say, was it a pretty seamless transition finding work once you had that degree to your name? Uh, absolutely not. Um, so uh, I started out and part of it was just my own idiocy um, because uh, I interned at Marvel Comics uh, for years. And, um, you know, uh, I was still like, you know, I don't think I was ready to like, you know, become a penciler on any title uh, by the time I graduated from college. But uh, I could color, you know, and they offered me work at the bullpen, uh, which was really awesome. But I turned it down because I thought if I get locked into an art job, then I'm not. And this is like this is only like something that a 21 year old would think. Like I'm locking myself into this. Like, meanwhile, I have, I have no idea how I'm going to earn a living. Uh, I, I just did like part time you know, jobs here and there and then freelance. But I turned all that down uh, and then uh, went out into the world to try to figure out uh, how to freelance. And uh, what I did is I basically, um, at that time I was really looking at political illustrators, political type comics. 
So I started like, you know, trying to figure out, call people, like if I can get a number to somebody or if I can get an email to someone, just emailing people and like, look, I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to become uh, an illustrator. I want to become a comic artist. Uh, can you give me any advice? And uh, maybe three or four people in, I ran into um, Peter Cooper, who uh, does Spy vs. Spy. And, I mean, he's just uh, a fantastic illustrator and a comic artist. And he was uh, just uh, transitioning uh, um, his uh, to get a new assistant. And I spoke to him for like an hour, like asking him questions. And he said, like, uh, you came on a really good day. He's like, because I am looking for an assistant. I was like, well, I'm looking for someone to teach you what the hell I'm doing. So, uh, yeah. So uh, he, uh, then I uh, assisted him, like, you know, uh, basically you, his art style is cutting stencils, which is crazy. Um, uh, so I cut stencils for years and I, I did uh, inking and, you know, some background painting. But I learned how to be a comic artist. I learned how to be an illustrator. And I, I was introduced into like a whole you know, world of underground New York comic artists that were all awesome and really cool. And, um, you know, it's probably the reason, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you because I was able to reach out when I was young and, and find these people. Um, yeah. So you, it was essentially like a, a version of cold calling, just going out there and being like, here I am. And, and it worked out for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with getting illustration gigs. Like you have to go out and, uh, just putting stuff on Instagram is not enough. You have to make that connection with people. And uh, yeah, it's the same thing with, you know, trying to figure out uh, your your way in this uh, art world. I think that's the way. Yeah, and that's a good segue because I was going to ask, you know, you have a lot of stuff out there and we often hear, especially when you're you're getting started, get your work out there, get short comics out there, get something out there so you can point people to it. Were you were you trying to do that? Was some, was that something you were actively trying to do? And what were your sort of because you've got a, a di very diverse portfolio now, where you've been, you know, in magazines and, and and working with all kinds of different clients. So how did you sort of find your way into that side of of the the illustration world? So I mean, I always I wanted to do everything because I saw <laughs> other illustrators like they weren't just doing one thing; they were doing you know the ones that I really admired. Uh, had their you know hands in like all sorts of different things. So um, I didn't want to just be like, well, that guy, he, you know, uh, I started wanting to do political illustration. But I was like, it's really limiting. And uh, political illustration gets really depressing <laughs> after a while. And it gets kind of like monotonous because, you know, the same things are in the news kind of, you know, forever. You know, the same political problems exist now that they did in the 80s and before that. And so... Uh, I wanted to expand what I was doing just to be more interested in what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, but when I first started out, I was like going to small papers, which don't exist anymore, but you know, village voice type things. Uh, and I got a comic in something called the uh, New York waste, which was a punk rock uh, magazine. I did comics for them for years. Um, but, it was, and then I got involved with world war three illustrated which, you know, uh, it's a bunch of, you know, political artists still doing comics. It's one of the longest running uh, uh, zines out there. And um, yeah, that was basically it. It was just getting pieces here and there and then building and, and then cold calling going on portfolio reviews, which that doesn't happen anymore. You go to a, a building and you, you know, 
hopefully get to meet with the art director or you also just drop off your portfolio and pray. Um, and then they call you back and say they don't want anything to do with you. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that's how I did it. And it's like, it doesn't happen overnight. It is you're building upon each thing and, and trying to get to a higher level. Mm. And those steps that you were taking then with, with sort of getting your work out there, did you, I mean, it, were those things that you feel like added up to getting you to where you are now? Like we'll, we'll talk about each hero in a second, but were those things that heightened your exposure and allowed you to get to that stage of your, your career? Yeah. I mean, uh, it allows you to make a living. Um, mm. so like I wouldn't have to be, you know, have to take a side job or anything. Uh, eventually, you know, you have enough clients that if you do good work, uh, you maintain those clients and get more clients, but it's, yeah, it's arduous. There's, you know, uh, you know, it's just a, a very long, it's not like you just walk out of school. Out of all the very few people that I went to school with are illustrators. In fact, mm. almost none, uh, not he didn't go to school with me, but he went to school uh, across town. The only person I know who actually did do that, um, or two people, are uh, James Jean did it. Uh, he just stepped out right into D.C. and they hired him. But that's one person out of I don't know how many years, like uh, of of Pratt and SBA that of kids that just went out of school and they're like, boom, they're doing covers over at D.C. Uh, that doesn't happen. Uh, most other people, you know, they're you know trying to find the way. Um, so yeah, that was, that's how I did it. Mm -hmm. Um, I lost my train of thought. I had a great follow-up to that and I lost it, but we're going to switch a little bit, um, and talk about the different, the different approaches that you take. I remember what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, you know, one of the things that I really admired about your portfolio is how versatile your art seems to be like. It, it, I, we often talk about branding on this show and how you brand yourself as an artist and developing your own style. And I, I really admire how yours, like it, it seems to fit sort of the vessel that it's sent to, like what you've done for Wired looks different than what you've done for Politico. And I'm wondering, like, whenever you work those gigs, I assume they give you parameters to work inside and, and sort of how you bring yourself to those kinds of projects. Like what of your own style are you allowed to bring to something like that? Well, you'd be surprised how uh, much leeway they give you. Mm. Uh, I've never been someone who thinks that you have to live and die by style because I think mm. it's the easiest thing that anyone could replicate. People don't pay me for how I draw. You, it should be uh, go without saying that you can draw and you can paint and you can do all these things. They pay you for your ideas. Mm. So they're paying me for what I come up with. Like, you know, if you just want a portrait of somebody, you know, that looks really cool. Uh, I don't know if you call me. Uh, I want to do something. And I don't know if mm. I'd be that interested because you want to have fun with it. And just drawing a picture of somebody without putting yourself in there uh, is not that interesting a thing for me. So, you know, even, you know, when I work with game publishers and whatnot, they, you know, uh, have they, they want you to go to town, but they're paying you for your idea. And uh, I have fun trying to find the right, um, you know, my styles all have like, it's not like crazy different styles. But they go off in different ways because I'm trying to solve a problem. Mm. And if I can use style on, in a way to solve that problem, then that's taking some of the heavy lifting off of me. You know, uh, we're going to talk about Ichiro, but, you know, I spend a lot of time doing, uh, you know, brushwork and, and uh, practicing, you know, uh, with the uh, uh, Japanese calligraphy brush brushes um, because I'm trying to tell a story and I wanted the style 
to help tell that story. So if you can use style as a way to communicate, you're, you know, you're doing some of the heavy lifting without, you know, even having to, to do anything other than uh, draw your story. Sure. And then I'm, I'm curious if you buy into that notion of you have to have a brand as an artist, you have to, or as a writer or an artist, do you, do you feel like you have to go out there and sort of establish what you are good at, what you do and, and sort of build from there? I don't know, because it might be different nowadays because I've, you know, I'm coming at it from someone who's, you know, been doing this a little while and, you know, I wasn't, Instagram was not a thing when I came into this uh, profession, but um you know, just having a, uh, if the work is good and, uh, you know, uh, they're going to look at your portfolio, they're going to take a look at, at pieces. Again, I think it all comes down to uh, branding is one thing, I guess, you know, people could say, well, this is, this is this guy. But you look at a lot of artists and I'm like, well, this guy looks like this other guy and they all look the same to me sometimes. And it's like, uh, if, is that really going to differentiate uh, yourself from the rest of the people in this art world? So I don't know. Branding is, I think people maybe put a little too much into that. I think you could still have a really good career without, uh, you know, trying too hard at that. I agree for the record. I just like to hear what other people say about branding. Yeah. Um, and I, I, one last question before we get to Ichiro. Uh, you, you've both illustrated your own work and you also, for Strange Rain, you, you correct me if I'm wrong, you illustrated another person's script. What, what was that process like with, with, adapting someone else's words into your art or what, what, like did the, I assume the script came first and you maybe saw something you liked in it and, and decided to work on it. Yeah, I actually, I do, you know, quite a bit of uh, comics for, you know, uh, magazines or, or, you know, I've done uh, before. Um, uh, well, I, I've done a whole bunch of stuff that uh, was uh, with, with a script and, a, and another author and, it's um, sometimes they give you leeway where they're like, well, we understand this is not, you know, this is your medium. You could change the script. You could, you know, edit it. You could add things. Um, uh, I do a lot of stuff for a Swedish magazine. It's a food magazine called Fool. And uh, they have, they'll have like a chef and like they give me a very loose story. And uh, this one story was about, um, it was a French chef who uh, moved to uh, a small island off of Japan. And uh, he uh, he had like started this winery and uh, they gave me like a loose script to it. I completely went off their script and I, I found this one aspect, like there were Tanuki uh, that lived in the mountains around his house, the raccoon dogs. And uh, he mentioned like kind of as a, like a side note that like he grows grapes because he has a vineyard and that the Tanuki were like stealing the grapes. And I just like completely, you know, went off on that. And I made this whole other storyline where these Tanuki are like stealing these grapes and like his family is in terror and I draw them like, you know. Uh, so like, I think the guy was like shocked and appalled, <laughs> but uh, it was so much fun doing it. And uh, everyone loved it, except maybe him, uh, which, you know, I never heard from him. But um, it was it made the it really made the comic for me, and I obviously the, the publisher liked it because they hired me back. But um, you know, so it it varies. Sometimes they want exactly what's on the page, and uh, it's very formal, and it, it gets kind of crazy. But um, yeah, it's it, it varies the way. But it's always a script, and then you know uh, I'll work off that and give them thumbnails, and then go through the the process, just like an illustration, basically. Yeah. 
All right, so let's talk about Ichiro, which in case we couldn't tell is one of my favorite graphic novels. Uh so when did the when did this sort of inspiration take because this correct me if I'm wrong, this is your this is the long form. Was this your debut long form graphic novel? So my first book uh I did when I first got out of school, Johnny Jihad, mm-hmm. which uh, you know, that was a long time ago. I don't even think it's still in print. Uh, but I was I guess 21 when I did that. And uh yeah, that was from MBM uh small publishing house right there in new york city um but uh this was a much longer book i think that was like 96 pages and this is like you know way more than that i don't remember how many pages of churros but um what i learned doing giant jihad uh you know uh definitely came into play when i decided to do a longer format comic and i wasn't rushing to do another graphic novel just because uh, it's really hard. And, uh, you know, just doing illustration and whatnot, you know, pretty much takes up all the time. And I don't have, you know, even weekends you're doing work and then it's like, well, when am I going to be doing these comic pages? But you find the time, uh, which I did. Uh, and it's because I had a story that I really wanted to tell. Um, and I guess the genesis of it was um, my uh, now wife, she's Japanese. And I went uh, with her to Japan uh basically to get approval from her parents because we we're gonna get married and um we went they're from uh hiroshima and we went to uh the peace museum in hiroshima city and uh it's something that like disturbed me so much um that i felt like there i don't understand like how this can happen even though we all know the story we all understand it you know uh from what we've read or what we've seen on tv uh, it's when you see the actual, you know, uh, museum, you see the history and you read the stories, uh, it's so deep and affecting and knowing that her own family, you know, uh, survived the bombing and hearing their stories. And, uh, it, it just, it made me really, uh, think about this, uh, deeply. And I, I also thought about my own family, you know, my, my, uh, great grandfather, uh, uh, my grandfather served in the Pacific, uh, in, in a ship uh fighting the japanese and uh my wife's family you know a fought for the japanese army and it's like and then a couple years you know decades down the line you know these two you know um countries that were at each other's throat like people you know their their you know grandchildren are are you know coming together and it's just uh, it just made me ruminate on war and uh, all these things and so that was uh that was like the seed and then my love of uh, Japanese folklore, mm-hmm. um, you know, the yokai aspect of it. I've always been interested in that. I'm always interest, interested in mythology, but uh, especially, um, you know, kind of that strange, like it's kind of like an underground mythology, the mythology of the yokai, because uh, it's it's small uh, uh, like villages uh, that have these explanations uh, that becomes like, you know, a mythology in itself. And then those little small things like, you know, don't, uh, you know, uh, uh, cover your belly button when it's uh, thunderstorming out because, you know, raging will come and steal your belly button. Now, those things get co-opted into bigger religious, you know, uh, themes like in Shintoism. But it all starts as explanations of how the world works. Uh, and I think that's it's really fascinating. The stories are, you know, obviously really amazing too so so it sounds like a story that had has a lot of a mission behind it you know you said you weren't 
you weren't in a hurry to write another graphic novel, but this some of the story, there were just a lot of factors that added up to making this the right story. Did you know what form it would take? Did you know it was going to be long form or did you just kind of start absorbing things and then dive in and see where it went? Yeah, I don't think they, even the publisher, I don't think they were expecting the book to be this long. <laughs> and uh, they were kind of saying after a while, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm going way past deadline. And they're like, is, but they're seeing the book as it's progressing. And they know that I'm not just like sitting around and, uh, you know, uh, goofing off. Um, but it just, the story just kept coming. And I, it's like, I want, but I want to take it in this direction. I want to go with it. I want to understand this. And the amount of research I did, there was just too much information that I had. Uh, and I traveled all over Japan getting all this information, um, which is really fun and it definitely helped the book. But um, I had all this and I was just like, well, what, what do I cut out of it? And there's like tons of pages that I did wind up cutting out just because, you know, uh, I'm sitting with the editor and I'm like, we don't have to cut this out, but you know, at the same time, you know, we should just start, you know, focusing in and, and boiling it down and making it more cohesive. So um, I just had way too much to say. Uh, and, um, you know, I tried to fit it, fit it all in, but, uh, you know, sometimes you got to edit yourself. I want to get back to a lot of what you said about publishing it and about working with an editor, but I, I first want to rewind a little bit to, you know, whenever you started working on this, did this project feel different than other ones you'd worked on before? Or was it sort of business as usual for you? Well, I mean, when I do a graphic novel, and uh, there, it's just such an amount of work, especially the writing I find so difficult, that I really have to want to say something, because I could just, you know, I could just do art, you know, with the illustration work I, I always do and get art out there. But if I want to do something that's really personal, that's where I find comics, you know, are an outlet uh, so I can say something that I want. Um, you know, I don't, you know, want to devote like a year of my life uh, to, you know, just uh, doing some nonsense, although I have. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it becomes a job, whereas writing Ichiro was, you know, just it just kept coming. Um, I've done long format comics that, you uh, I didn't write and are not fun. And, uh, you know, it's just, they are what they are. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's kind of how it unraveled. And then, you know, this was sold as YA. And I'm curious if this was, if you had intended to write a younger audience, like, was that something you thought to do starting out? And was this your first time doing that? Uh, I, I don't even really think of that stuff. I mean, um, mm -hmm. because uh, I mean, they want you to think of that. When you pitch a book, they definitely want you to think about that. And they want you to think, well, what other books can we compare to this book? And I'm like, I have no idea. But I was very lucky. I hadn't read it, but um, American Born Chinese had come out like a year or so before. And my editor said, have you read this? And I said, no, what's it about? And she said, it's about mythology. It's about Chinese mythology. You should use this as a compare book when you're pitching. I was like, yeah, well, let me read it first because I have no idea, you know. Uh, but it's uh, it was a great book, obviously. But um, I think Ichiro is nothing like that book. But because it has something to do with Asian mythology, the publishers are often like kind of they got the blinders on, you know, like oh well that's sold, so uh, this will sell. Even though, like, I mean, they couldn't be more different in what they're going about, but they need to see that what you're doing could possibly sell something, you know? Um, so I think that did help. 
Sure. And I, and I want to rewind a bit again, because you mentioned that you had an editor at this point. And I'm curious, you know, at what point this book sold and what you had to sell it? Like, did you pitch it places or was this something that was already sort of sold on concept and then you built it from there? So much earlier, I had pitched them um, an autobio book of Hemingway, mm. um, which uh, they really wanted to publish. And because of the Hemingway uh, Foundation, uh, they thought that they were going to be sued. I've since talked to a whole bunch of different Hemingway scholars and they're like, they're crazy. You would never be sued for this. But I, I mean, like, you know, they will, you know, they didn't want to, to risk it. But they had my work and I, I showed them samples and I, I had a pretty developed pitch for that. So, um, you know, time goes by and they said, if you ever have anything else you want to pitch, you know, please come see us. Um, so when I came up with the, the, you know, my concept for Ichiro, I think I went to a couple of different publishers. Um, some of them, I think, you know, a few, uh, publishers were interested, but, um, they wanted to see a whole lot of extra, uh, like pages and like, basically they wanted to see the whole book. I'm like, well, this is kind of what you're paying me to do. Uh, you know, I can't, I don't have time to develop this whole thing. And you know, why I went with, uh, went with Halton Mifflin is because they were willing to put a little faith and like, okay, we know you did, you know, we like what you did before and we think you could probably, you know, do it again with us. So I was fortunate. Uh, I was fortunate enough. Were you, were you agented? Was that an agented submission or was this a, a connection? Because the reason I ask is Houghton Mifflin Court, Harcourt is, is, you know, it's on the traditional publishing side of things. So was that, some, was that a connection you had had previously or was it through an agented submission? No, I didn't have an agent. Um, I knew uh, a designer there who gave me the name of uh, an art director who gave me the name of an editor. And basically all you need is names and <laughs> you can basically <laughs> track these people down. And, and you know, don't get me wrong. Uh, they get a lot of submissions. But they are also actively looking for work. You know, this stuff doesn't, you know, manifest by itself. So, I mean, if you, uh, you know, are aware of editors or, or, or publishers or you know, certain people working within these things, and you know that, you know, they're, they're amenable to, to graphic novels and comics, you know, what's the harm in cold calling them or, or shooting them an email? Be respectful, be brief, you know, uh, but you... You lose nothing in trying to uh, engage with these people in a respectful way. So, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask you what that introduction, because that's such a daunting process for writers to sort of just go out there and be like, you don't know me, but I've got this project that you might like. What was your process whenever you did that? Did you just introduce yourself? Or did you just throw the project at him and say, you know, here's what I'm working with. Do you like it? Well, if you know one person, like, you know, a designer, and then, you know, this other, mm -hmm. you can use names to, to kind of get up the scale. So that definitely did help. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, and when I get first got published at MBM, um, it was because uh, Peter had done, a, uh, Cooper had done a book with them. So, I mean, but these are relationships that I sought out. Like, you know, you have friends that you go to art school with or you uh, are comic friends of, of yours that uh, are trying to do the same thing. Stay in touch with them, you know, mm -hmm. You're stronger together than you are apart, uh, rest assured. Um, so the, the the person that is not doing so, uh, much with their career now could be like the head editor at uh, some comic uh, house tomorrow. So, you know, uh, and you could help them by the same uh, way. 
but you know, you come up together and you, you try to uh, help each other uh, to, to do what you want to do. And was this sort of the first time you had taken this out to market? What other, had you tried pursuing other paths, like going the self-publishing route or going through a traditional comics publisher? And what made you decide on Hot and Mifflin Hardcore? Was that sort of like, did they make an offer that made sense to you? Um, I just wasn't seeing like, um, like a smaller publisher doing a, a book of this size. I think I did pitch it to Dark Horse. Hmm. Um, and... Uh, Again, some people over there liked it, but, you know, uh, it takes, they need a lot more than a few people thinking it's good, that they need a lot of faith over there. And, and plus, it's a hard sell. Um, you know, when you hear Ichiro when, without seeing the book in front of you, you're like, eh, maybe that could work. You know, some things sound like, you know, a short, you know, elevator pitch. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's an amazing idea. And uh, Ichiro is like a very convoluted book in many ways. I'll, I'll confess to that um and you know it's it's a hard like short pitch so mm -hmm. i did try to pitch it to some uh, uh traditional comic publishers but i always thought like well i guess it could be a series but then they always came back to me and be like well you have to hook people in like each issue and are you going to be able to do that? And I had to honestly answer like, well, I would definitely try to do that. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you know, I, I didn't conceive it that way. So it's like, that's not what it is. Uh, and, um, you know, I had to try to go with a bigger publisher because I know they do those books. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, also got to know, you know, know what you're going to do, you know, what you want to do. And then, uh, you know, what, that publisher does and if it does something that you know along those lines mm -hmm. and i want to get into the the i'm kind of going backwards here i want to get into the crafting of ichiro but i also now that we're talking about the the publishing side of it i want to stay here for a second um so you know the book sells to pot and mifflin harcourt uh and you had mentioned the editorial process so i wanted to get back to that um you know with having to cut stuff and with how you know, big the book was, was it hard for you to acclimate to having, you know, an editor really weighing in on the process that much? Well, I, I worked on, you know, the other uh, books I worked on, the editor was very hands-off. And mm -hmm. to be honest, when you have a really big book, to have a good editor, to, to do any book, uh, a good editor is, you know, uh, worth their weight in gold. Um, because even you could say, well, you can have a friend read it, you could, you know, do all those things. Uh, you're not going to get the kind of advice but someone who does this for a living, who's able to really get in there and say, well, this is not as strong as this. And and to have someone who you agree with. Uh, my editor was great and she really helped me and she helped uh, me, you know, go through the process and shepherd it. And that's, you know, that's what a, a good editor does. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So now I want to get into sort of the, the actual crafting of the story itself. Uh, we're going to start with a, a question from the audience, which is when you're when you're both writing and illustrating a project, how does your writing style influence your art style and and or vice versa? So um, with a cheer, I think I actually start out uh, just writing it and then I switched to uh, doing the thumbnails along with the writing. So I did the first thing I was I did was like a general. Uh, overview of, uh, you know, the, the entire project and then broke it down into bolted chapters. Uh, so 
some of what, you know, I, when I first started writing, I was very descriptive. Everything that I was going to draw, I wrote out like, you know, uh, darkened room, you know, uh, camera angle from this perspective. It's like writing storyboards. And then I got to the thing. I was like, why am I writing all this? You know, I'll just draw it. And, and then it started to flow. Uh, and I stopped, you know, I had so much more dialogue when I was actually piping it. And uh, before I was like drawing and all that, all that dialogue went right out the window. I was like, I don't need all this stuff. You know, I, I really started to pare things down. So uh, it definitely influenced that. And once you have one panel, like you're drawing a page, right? So uh, you might, you know, you might see it on, you know, when you're writing it, how does this, how does this scene unfold? You're dealing with panels. You're dealing with all sorts of other things. When you're writing that, at least to me, maybe people have some, you know, some, uh, you know, some sort of symbiosis of these two skills. I do not. Uh, I I need to see that page, you know, mm. in front of me, and I can move it around, and then I can really determine uh, how the art is going to go. Because a lot of it is just like I can I can just tell you all that stage direction. But I don't really know if it works until I get it on the page. So, and then uh, for Ichiro specifically, w was this a story that I'm always like curious with how much you outline in advance and how much you kind of just fly by the seat of your pants and see where it goes? Is this a story that you knew like start to finish what was going to happen, or were you kind of exploring along the way? There was some exploration, that's for sure. But um, I mean, they wanted a pretty comprehensive outline. Uh, it did take some twists and turns and like it, it really got pretty, you know, big in between like what I thought was it was going to be and, and the finished product. But um, I had a pretty comprehensive outline. I did not know exactly what was going to happen at the end. And I actually I might have cut the original ending and uh, which I don't even remember what it was. But I definitely think, you know, the the ending that I decide on was much better. And the editor agreed. Um, ending a book is hard. And if you could come up with that first, they always say come up with the ending first. Very hard to do. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But uh, I did have a pretty comprehensive, um, you know, uh, overview of the whole book. Sure. And, you know, one of the things that, I admire a lot about it is how, how there are a lot of prevalent themes in each rough like that the hard thing about themes is you want them but you don't want them to be that noticeable so you know you don't want people to feel like being preached to or whatever and right. all the themes in each row, I feel like we're so well balanced so I'm always want to know like do you actively engage with themes or do they kind of just naturally work their way into the story well there are definitely things that I want to say but mm -hmm. you're you're absolutely spot on I don't want to hit you over the head with it I try not to and, you know, uh, it's it's really easy to do. Um, but there are definitely things I want to say. And some of it is just like once the story is rolling, these things just kind of, you know, uh, flush themselves out. I mean, if you have once once things are really moving and, uh, you know, you have your story, you, you have that direction. There are going to be themes that just come in there naturally. And then, like, you know, some of the stuff is not even as clear to me when I'm putting it in there. and it all meshes at the end and that's like kind of the cleanup work trying to get all those things you know to lay down properly uh but yeah it's i do think about uh, a lot of that stuff as i'm going through it and try not to be too heavy-handed with it you mentioned that you had something to say with the story is that sort of 
how the story began. You know, some people begin with a character that they want to build a story around. Some people begin with a setting. What was it for you that sort of sprouted Ichiro? Was there a certain entry point, a certain story element that served as that entry point? It was probably um, it was probably a combination of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one one was you know obviously what I what I spoke about with the Peace Museum. The other was uh, the Iraq War, uh, which you know was still going on at the time. I mean, pretty much still going on now. And Afghanistan, and it's uh, uh, all those things. You know, th- these different themes I was uh, that are going around in my head and trying to make uh, sense of it, and also use the structure of mythology and the story, uh, things just kind of like, you know, uh, I just kind of started playing with things, different aspects of it. And, um, you know, so, and it, then it started to, to be a cohesive uh, piece. But, yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of speaking to the art, artistic choices. I mean, there's a lot of stylistic things that, that were really neat, like the way you switch the art style whenever it goes in the mythological setting, um, you had mentioned in the the ending of the story how you would use the the no theater mask as sort of the inspiration there. Um, and even having things like the speech bubble switching from white to yellow at different places, like these are like extra mile elements, I feel like, that sort of show a deeper depth to the story. I'm wondering if those, if you plan those out as well, or if those are things that you sort of realize you can do along the way, and like, oh, I should add this and it adds another cool element to it. Uh, a lot of stuff I planned out uh, from mm-hmm. the get-go, just because I've seen, you know, different aspects of that in, like, some of the great co- comic artists uh, that I admire. And then when you're doing a comic, you're like, well, I can incorporate that, too. Mm-hmm. I have reasoning, my own reasoning for it, but it's just an expansive knowledge of what other people have done, you know, is, you know, really helpful when you're sitting there trying to think of stuff for yourself, but... Yeah, I mean, all like, you know, trying to, to change the, the color of the balloons and everything, uh, all that, I think, you know, uh, how how can I communicate better is what I always uh, right. question, because that is your goal. You need to communicate things. And, you know, you don't want to go on for 4000 pages. You have to try to do it as concisely as possible. And, uh, you know, uh, that's what I tried to do with all that. I like that. How can I communicate better? That, that's good. I like that. Um, and then just a more generic question here, but you know, the creation process is long. There's a lot you're going through. Is there anything unexpected along the way that either worked its way into the story or that kind of caught you off guard about the story or anything along that journey that was, that was unexpected? Uh, I think the way that I chose to do, um, the sections of full color, um, I know, uh, they weren't even really on board for that uh, to begin with. I had to do with some production technical aspects, but something I thought was really important, but it wasn't in my main pitch. Like, you know, because everything you do, you do a book, you just assume, well, you know, uh, they'll figure a way to do it, but it costs money to do things. And you can't just say, well, why don't we do this? No, they don't. That's not the way they play. So, uh, you know, to come back uh, and say, well, we need like a certain set of full color pages at this point was like kind of a heavy lift. But I was like, I think it's crucial to the story and I think it'll be worth it. How can we figure out a way to do it? And we had to separate, you know, chapters and we had to space the pages to make it affordable enough to do. So it wasn't something that was like, you know, this will be color. I had to have it spaced exactly in like, you know, specific set of pages so that they can make it uh, into the book. So 
that was something on the fly that we kind of decided, yeah, let's, let's do it. So. And, and that brings up another question I meant to ask whenever you're talking about the editorial process, but I think there's another element to that where there are times where I think a writer has to, you know, stand their ground on certain story elements. Did you ever have to do that where an editor said, you know, this part can't stay and, and to you, it was integral to the story. Did that ever happen to you? Um, I'm not sure. I think we, uh, we pretty much uh, were on the same page. Hmm. Trying to think of other books. Uh, I do remember having these conversations. So I know it's happened to me before. It's definitely happened to me with illustration before. Um, but uh some of it you have to you have to know like is this worth like fighting a huge battle over it really has to be something integral uh if there's any doubt in your head uh you can't just like constantly be uh putting your flag in the in the sand over every little thing um when you do a book for a publisher if you're doing it for self-publish that's great but there's going to be you know back and forth and you have to have be open to that you can't just say my way or the highway that's not how this world works. And I'm curious if you ever have like creative, like I don't want to call it writer's block because you do illustration work too, a creative block, especially when you're on a, on a deadline. Um, do you ever run into that and how do you overcome it? Uh, yeah, I, I have a creative block and it usually happens when I have zero time to have this block. So uh, yeah, I'll be like, you know, of something due, you know, the next day. And I'm like, I have no idea, you know, uh, what this sketch should be or what, you know, if I go out and take a bike ride, sometimes that helps. Um, sometimes I'll just, you know, uh, I'll take out a big sheet of paper. I'll just do thumbnail after thumbnail after thumbnail. I'll just keep doing little sketch, little sketch. Like they don't even mean anything to anyone. If someone were seeing me like, that doesn't even look like anything, but I'm working out the problem. Because usually it's because I like an idea too much and maybe they, the client didn't like it or what have you. And then once that is shot down, I'm like, well, I had nothing other than that. That was it. Uh, so you need to take, you know, you basically just have to shut off for a second and then rehash it over and over again and try to find that new way of looking into it because, you know, that's where the answer lies. Then we just got another question from the audience here. So you mentioned staying in touch with the people you come up with. Do you have any additional advice on how to build that network of contacts? Uh, well, the other thing that we, we talked about is um, just you got to go out and cold call people and you have to try to you know engage with people uh, that, you know, it's nerve wracking, especially when you're young and you're starting out. You're like cold calling someone is terrifying. And, uh, you know, um, you, you automatically assume they're not going to want to talk to you. But I assure you, a lot of these people, uh, they've been in your position and uh, they want to help people out, too. Uh, and, you know, they're not all cynical and like, you know, mean or whatever. So reaching out to those people. And um, if you can get into, you know, if you have like, you know, you're into a certain type of comics, like how I got into World War Three Illustrated, uh, I was you know, into politics. I got in, together with a bunch of group of uh, other political uh, comic artists. And, uh, you know, it was just like a really cool scene. And we do all help each other out. And we have openings and, you know, sometimes we'll, uh, there'll be a book and, you know, we all have comics and, you know, whatever, you know, book. Um, and it's, it's just really nice when you know there's other people that do what you do and it's like you're like it's like a, a family 
uh, it's a really great feeling. And now that I moved out of New York, kind of, I kind of miss it because it's not, it's not the same when you live hours away, you know, it, it, it's just a different scene, but, uh, to have that, especially when you're young is really crucial. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's very helpful. And then I also wanted to ask you about just the general concept of time management, especially when you have multiple projects going on at once. Um, how do you keep yourself on schedule for, for, for projects and how do you know when you're sort of at your limit? Yeah. Uh, it's tough because, uh, I often go beyond that and I regret it. Uh, and then like, uh, my wife yells at me because I don't have any time on the weekend to do anything, but, um, it is tough weighing it, especially because sometimes you'll say, oh, this project sounds good. And then it falls through and, or it gets delayed and it's, and then it comes back around and you don't really have a choice. You know, these are, uh, you know, higher paycheck levels than me. So making these decisions. So uh, sometimes you don't even realize you're overbooking yourself, but uh, I try to gauge, you know, what is conceivable based on me doing this for a long time. And I beg everyone for extensions. When I get the project, the first thing is like, is this a hard deadline? Because almost 90% of the time, that's not the deadline. That's like some sort of just date they put out there to like, they know you're going to blow it. So they just put that out there. So trying to get to that actual deadline date, because it's probably at least a few days, it gives you a little breathing room. Uh, So that is helpful. But uh, yeah, it's it's really hard. I, I I can't lie, and I, you know, I fall victim to overbooking sometimes. But it's better than having no work at all. So, you know, there's and that. I was gonna yeah, I was gonna ask you too, is especially for people that are getting started. You know, I feel like the impulse is to say yes to anything, whatever offer you get, say yes to. Do you sort of have any advice to if that's a good, you know, a good policy to have, or how to know when a project is right for you? Uh, well, when you're starting out, it's really hard, especially like if you're depending on, on some of it as like actual income so that you could pay rent and eat and do all those nice things. So like, you know, I'd like to say like, you know, just toss those, you know, assignments to the side and be true to yourself and whatnot. But you might not have a choice. I mean, you know, so I, I don't want to be so, you know, uh, high minded like that. But uh once you get are in this for a while, obviously you can you can pick and choose a little. But I I couldn't pick and choose when I was starting out. I had, like had to pay rent, and you know uh, I, I didn't have too many other options. So I took what I could get, and I did everything you know uh, as best I could. But the key to it, uh, uh, I think, is take a bad assignment and try to make it a good assignment by doing it the way you want. Uh, and, uh, back in the day, the New York times, um, one of their, uh, they used to have an actual, like the, the illustrators would be in the New York times and the editors would come out and they'd throw them like assignments and they'd all be at drawing boards. And, um, one of the illustrators who was part of this, uh, group called inks, uh, told me, he's like, uh, he worked at the New York times back then. He said, whenever they gave me some really horrible subject, that was boring. I know I couldn't do anything with, I would just draw a monster. And I try to incorporate a monster into it and somehow make it fun for myself. And in making it fun for myself, uh, a lot of times it came out to be a good illustration. So sometimes, like, you know, you you just have to find that avenue that makes a really boring, horrible job 
uh, fun for you, and you're gonna, you know, level up your your uh, your art by doing that anyway. So, yeah, I love that. Uh, we're just about out of time, but uh, I want to add. You know, you've given so much good advice already. But for people who want to make a living in this industry, uh, either as a writer, artist, or a combination of the two, if you have one piece of advice to give those people, what would it be? It can even be something you've already said. Um, but just is there any one specific thing that you think, you know, stands above the rest in terms of that advice? Uh, I mean, they hear. I'm sure everybody's heard this from everyone. But I mean, you really have to stick to your guns and stay with it. And it is the even though it sounds like, oh yeah, I've heard that one. That is really the answer. And I know no one wants to, you know, hear that. Like I've heard this before. But that's really the answer. It's always like it's like statistics. The longer you're in it, the more likely you are to succeed. And even though that sounds cliched, it's true. And if you really want to do this, you will do it. But you have to really sacrifice and you have to put yourself out there and it's not just you know being good that goes without saying you should be good because you should be doing it constantly and uh you know and if you stick stick with it you know that is really the key i wish there was another gem but that's really the best one you can get no it really is uh and then last but not least uh do you have anything to promote anything coming out anything coming up that we can look out for and where can people find your stuff or you online. Oh, so uh, you can see uh, my work at uh, ryanzana.com. And uh, right now I am working on a uh, bio book for Bruce Lee uh, that is from Penguin Random House, and that will be out in 2024. I am not writing this. Uh, it's a very uh, awesome author, Teresa Robeson. Uh, so I haven't seen, I just did the concept art on it. So we're at the very beginning stages, but the focus is mainly on Bruce Lee's like the Cato years and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be really cool. I am a huge Bruce Lee fan. And when they offered this to me, I was like, man, this sounds too good to be true. And I just, you know, signed up right away. So I am really stoked about that. And, uh, yeah, so that's the next thing on the comic shopping block, but, um, Yes. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. You've given us so much good advice. We really appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you. So all our listeners, we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, negativespacecomics.com backslash events. We'll post it there and we'll see you then.